Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Travis Jeffrey, and it is go time! It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. and welcome back for another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 31. Our sponsors for today are Stack Impact and Backtrace. Today on the show, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. We also have Carlicia Pinto. Glad to be here. And Brian Kettleson. Hello. And we've, uh, so Brian and I have talked about Kafka and our love for it a number of times through a couple of episodes, and I think we've even mentioned the project. So today's special guest is Travis Jeffrey, here to talk to us about Jocko, which is a Go implementation of Kafka. Woohoo! Right? Mixing two worlds we love. I know. It's it's two great tastes that taste together. <laughs> when, you, when you get your peanut butter in my Kafka, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> so you want to talk to us a little bit about the project and kind of the, your motivation behind it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, first, I guess, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. That might be helpful, too. Yeah, introductions are always good. All right. Um, oh, this question's always a little funny. So I grew up on a farm about two hours north of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, middle of nowhere. And my parents were both entrepreneurs. Uh, they, that left me with a lot of time to watch movies, play video games, read books. They put me in a daycare called Teddy Bear Daycare, and I've never slept as much as a normal person. So what the people that ran the daycare, what they do is they'd stick me on the computer, which was like a Mac 3. And then, uh, yeah, that's how I basically, that's what I do while the other kids were sleeping. And um, when I was around 12, I picked up a book. Uh, I think it was the Pearl book. And then second book was a C Primer book. And then I got Hacking, The Art of Exploitation, because I thought I was going to be a hacker. And uh, I think I have the original version of that book, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Signed. Yeah. And then um, a little bit after that, uh, DHH put up the how to build a blog in 10, 10 or 15 minutes. And I was like, holy crap, that's crazy. And that's how I got started making web software. Cut to university. Uh, or just before university, I started contributing to open source stuff. So I uh, contributed to like Emacs and Vim and Django early on and then Rails. Within between like first and second year of university, I started getting recruited by the big tech companies, like the big fancy ones like Google. And around this time, when I first went to university, I thought I was going to be a math professor. And then at this, I started warming up to the idea that I would be a programmer because I was spending all my time programming on open source. And once I started getting those recruiting emails and I asked one of them, like, if I don't finish my degree, can you get me into the U.S.? And they're like, yeah. And then I was like, OK, well, I'm done. And so I dropped out and started a startup with some friends, and we ended up selling that to Shopify. After that, I went and worked at Basecamp for 37 Signals, so that was kind of like pretty cool to end up doing that. Then I wanted to do another startup again, so I talked to one of my friends, TJ Holowaychuk, and I was asking him where he was working, and he was telling me about this company, Segment.io, which is like an analytics data startup. 
And so I ended up joining there. And then that's how I was introduced to Go because originally Segment.io was built on Node.js. And uh, we started to scale up and it got to the point where Node's event loop would be blocked all the time processing JSON. And so that's how we started to introduce Go. And uh, ultimately, we just we ended up having like dozens of microservices built on Go. And uh, today, I'm head of architecture at a, another analytics company called Taplytics. And so that's what I'm doing now. And um, yeah, in the future, I would like to bootstrap my own company, maybe write some scripts. I want to make movies one day. I think that'd be cool. And do lots of writing. So that's what I'm about. Nice. So what was the kind of primary motivation for doing Kafka in Go? So I've been using Kafka for a couple of years now, and it's pretty awesome. I love Kafka a lot. There are some annoying things. Like for one thing, it comes with some baggage like the JVM and uh, <laughs> Zookeeper. You know, they aren't the nicest things. Like you have to maintain Zookeeper and all that stuff. And another thing was that I don't particularly like how Kafka does configuration. I, that's one thing I'd like to improve on. Uh, for instance, you can configure a topic to have a certain amount of data on a broker, how much data it will retain. And let's say you then add another topic and that topic is assigned to that broker. It can then go over the amount of data that you wanted to save because basically what you want to do is set a percentage, for example, like say that 10% of your disk will go to a certain topic which Kafka doesn't support, and that's one thing I'd like to do. Um, but basically, the, the whole idea behind Jocko was writing a Kafka that would be really easy to set up. So I would distribute a single binary. I wouldn't depend on Zookeeper. I would maintain protocol compatibility so that people that use Kafka now, they could just drop Jocko in, and it would you know work the same. And you know it would be compatible with Kafka clients and everything. And that was basically uh, the idea. So... I wonder whether we should kind of roll back a little bit, too, and talk a bit about what Kafka is and kind of what it's useful for, too. Yep. So Kafka is a replicated, distributed commit log service. Basically, it keeps a sequence of things, and then those things can be consumed by workers. You can use it as a message queue or any type of thing that you would want to stream. That's basically what it's used for. So for instance, uh, at Taplytics, we're working with analytics events. So those come in to our API, and then those go onto Kafka, and then workers read those events, process them, and then do something else with them. See, the thing that I think is most magical about Kafka is that you can use it as your system of record. And I think um, that's the power of Kafka for me, is, is that the idea that this, this crazy thing that looks and acts a little bit like Git and a queue and a database all at the same time can be uh, your system of record for all of your other applications. And that's, that's the way I like using Kafka the most, pushing all changes to Kafka and then having other systems read off of Kafka for uh, replication of those changes. Yeah, I mean, it's really great for stuff like that because like, you know, Brian and I work together on some projects and stuff where it, depending on your use case, sometimes you want the same data in multiple data stores. So Kafka is kind of like a really great way of being the system of record and then having all those data stores kind of populate themselves so that you can access them in different use cases. Yeah, it's kind of like you can think of it as like a data hub for all your data, basically. Um, like at Segment, a lot of times what we would do is that basically something would go into Kafka, a worker would pull that off, 
do some processing on it and then put it back into another Kafka topic and then so on and so on until finally it went out to a database or something like that. Yep. So very, very common pattern. Yeah. The nice thing for like that streaming data workflow too, is that it's great for um, services to kind of come online and offline if a service crashes or you, you take it down for upgrades and stuff like that. Um, the data is still being pumped into Kafka. The queue just backs up a little bit until the consumer comes back online, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. For scaling up, it's awesome because basically, yeah, like you, things will just get queued up and then you can just add more workers to pull them off quicker. Another awesome thing is basically managing your dependency graph. So rather than having services that communicate to each other directly, again, you can just have your workers, which don't know their relationship to each other. They just read from Kafka and then put something else back onto Kafka. So they have no idea about each other. So that's another awesome thing. You can just plug in workers, you know, as much as you want. So yeah, it's basically kind of how you think about like using go routines and channels, for instance, like you don't really care about the things that are consuming stuff from your channel, just that you're either pushing data to a channel that you're responsible for producing data on, or you're receiving it and doing some sort of work on it. You don't really have to be aware of all the other components in the system. Yeah. And the same topic can also be consumed by various consumer groups. So let's say one group reads from it and they make that data immediately available. So maybe it'll put it into a, a cache or something. And then another consumer can take that data and it will do something to it to make it available for long-term storage. So pretty awesome that. So where are you at in the development of it? How's, how's it performing comparison? Is it, is it feature complete? Is it just you working on this? It's, yeah, so pretty much just me at this point. I've gotten a few commits from someone else. I'm nearly feature complete. The thing I've been working on right now is replication, which I think I've got working. I basically have to do a little bit more testing from there. And then the next thing is consumer group support. Um, but I'm very close to being feature complete, yeah. And I haven't started on the performance testing yet. So we'll see how that goes. It should be pretty similar because basically the limitation is going to be your disk because it uses the same, you know, same sort of algorithms and same design. The one thing that Go is missing from Java is called the, I think it's called zero copy networking. And that's basically where the sockets will be like connected together. So the socket from the network will be connected to the disk socket and it'll bypass the kernel. So that's one thing that Java has on Go. And some people have started implementing some libraries to add that, but there isn't something that's ready yet, I don't think so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah and all of those, I think, come from just um, running up against it. Most code people who write don't need stuff like that. So as it's, it's come up against. Didn't the protocol change recently not to require Zookeeper? Won't that make your life a little bit easier? Yeah, exactly. That's why I can even do this, basically, uh, is that I won't need it. All the consumer state will be built into Kafka. It'll be in a data that Kafka uh, uses consensus to spread around the brokers. So the state will be stored on the brokers themselves. That's awesome. I was reading your blog post on how you implemented the storage layer and found it fascinating. That's really cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the internals of storage and how you mapped it from Java to Go? So basically the way I went about it is I cloned the Kafka repo and then I got the big picture view of the pieces. So I'd look at the directories and I'd look at the files and then I dug into those like I dug into they have like a log directory. And then I'd look at, you know, those files in there. 
and I figured out how they worked and I really liked their implementations. And I also bought their definitive, I think it's called definitive Kafka book, which is coming out. So I read that and they kind of described in a high level how it worked. And then from there, I just went in and implemented it. So yeah, basically just learned enough Scala as I needed to, you know, to understand what was going on and, and then just did it. Nice. So you're not using any intermediate storage mechanism like Bolt DB or something like that, or level DB, you're using all stuff that you wrote yourself? Yeah. So for the storage internals, because yeah, it would just be way too slow to use Bolt DB. Um, now, um, Kafka does a log structured merge tree, right? And SS tables like um, Cassandra does, or is the underlying um, storage layer different? I didn't read the same post Brian did. So Kafka does a lot of work on the clients. And this is how they get a lot of their performance. So basically, the Kafka clients will encode the data according to Kafka's protocol. And then that same format basically goes directly to disk on the Kafka server. So that's one way it gets all this performance is because the server doesn't have to do much in terms of uh, the data. It just puts that to the disk. And so what Kafka does is that that data goes to a log file. And basically, they just append it to the log file. They maintain an offset. Same thing with Jocko. So I maintain an offset in the log where the next bytes will go. And then the offsets for those logs are mapped by an index file. And the index file basically maps log offsets to the byte position in the log file. And then so when Kafka goes to look up a log entry, it'll take the offset and then just do a binary search in the index, which is a memory map file. And then from there, it knows the position in the log file. So that's, that's how it does it. Kind of impressive how it's architected to be that fast. Yeah, it's really cool. That's, that's one reason why, I, another reason why I wanted to do this project is that I wanted to know, because I knew that was a big part of what made Kafka special. And I wanted to understand it to the point where I could create it. And so that was another reason why I made Jocko. Yeah, that blog post is really good. We'll put the link to it in the show notes for the uh, storage engine. I, I really enjoyed reading it. So in the development of this, um, have you run up against anything aside from the kernel level stuff you were talking about? Or has it mostly been straightforward to implement this in Go? Um, yeah, it's been, it hasn't been too bad. Um, one of my favorite things about Go is that bytes are everywhere. You know, so you have the I.O. writer and I.O. reader. So it's been pretty awesome, actually, because again, with Kafka and it's how it networks by basically sending you the data in byte form and you're just putting that to disk. So it matches up really well. So there hasn't been uh, too much trouble. And again, another nice thing is that the clients have to do so much work. So that also helps with in terms of the work that you have to do when you're implementing a Kafka. So most of the work has been around doing consensus and service discovery. Right, right. Now, I, I noticed you used HashiCorp's Raft and Surf for your uh, discovery and consensus. Did you do any benchmarks on the different Raft protocols before you chose that one? Is, is there a particular reason you chose it, or is it just like pull one out of a hat? I looked at that one, and I looked at the etc. etcd. Is that how you pronounce etcd? Etcd. 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 Yeah. yeah, I looked at theirs as well. I felt like HashiCorp's just fit my brain a little bit better. Um, they just, I don't know, just fit my brain a little bit better. It seemed a little bit simpler. The other thing is that I just like how it's in its own repo too. Mm -hmm. Like, because when I want to look up issues for the project, 
I just want to see the issues for you know for RAP. And when you etcd, they they have their RAP library inside you know this huge. That's just one small part of their huge project and a huge repo on GitHub. So it's difficult to find issues for RAP that are RAP specific. So that's another thing that that was annoying for me. But yeah, it was mostly that it filled my brain. The other nice thing was that I read console and nomad i read their source code to see how they did it and so it was nice just to see to see the same library so that was another that was another thing it was oh nice it was useful to see how they did it so that's nice yeah yeah console and nomad they were really useful because uh, they both used surf and raft and their libraries that they made so they were good examples all right so um i think it's about time for our first sponsor break when it comes to profiling and monitoring the performance of your Go applications, Stack Impact is a great service to help you and your team laser focus on hotspot profiling, bottleneck tracing, health monitoring, and more. Stack Impact gives you the necessary historical deep dive performance visibility into your Go application's execution so you can discover and resolve performance bottlenecks with line of code precision. Technically, Stack Impact makes Go's built in profiling capabilities usable in a production environment. Stack Impact does everything automatically, there's no need to run commands or waste time specifying what to monitor. They've even put their Go agent on GitHub under the BSD license. So if you need to focus on the performance of your Go applications, check out Stack Impact. Head over to stackimpact.com slash gotime to learn more and tell them Brian from GoTime sent you. And we are back. We are talking to Travis Jeffrey about Jocko. And uh, let's start talking about some interesting Go projects and news. Anybody got anything interesting they've come across this week? It's been a big week. I'm not going to lie. It's been a big week. How big? It epic. <laughs> huge. It's huge. It's it's bigger than my tiny orange hands. That's how big it is. <laughs> it's huge. Oh man. <laughs> so so today get, uh, Google released a app called Shenzhen Go and it's a way to graphically wire up Go routines and channels so you can design the flow of your concurrency and your data flow graphically and then it will generate go code that implements your go routines and channels for you it's very very alpha level and i think it doesn't do two-way synchronization so you can only update from the graph to code and not reverse direction but it looks really promising i haven't tried it yet but it's it's pretty impressive the ability to generate go code from from something like a graph viz graph it's cool i haven't played with it but uh Wait, wait, this is the um, the Go Shenzhen thing, right? Yep. Yeah, I haven't played with that yet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It looks pretty awesome. It's actually funny because it, I just saw another project that's called the uh, Go Call Viz. It lets you visualize your call graph of your Go program using the dot format. Oh, I saw that yesterday. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that they kind of came out so close together. But that looks that looks kind of cool, too. So it gives you a visual overview of your function calls in your program and the relations and stuff like that. So see, there's too many new cool projects that come out and like not enough time <laughs> to to even discover them, much less play with them. Yeah. Like um <clears throat> one of them that I ran across and I, I saw it was actually mentioned in the Go Weekly newsletter too, kind of stealing my thunder, was um it's called Subgraph. And it's supposed to be a new operating system that kind of has uh, kind of uh, sandboxing and security controls in place. But somewhere I saw that they were using a whole bunch of Go. And I know that on their site, they mention um, they use it for its memory safety. 
And I wanted to look into that more and see kind of specifically what what components they're using it for. I'd like to actually reach out to them and and see whether this is kind of different applications or kind of the core components are are implemented in it. But interesting enough that there's an operating system trying to use Go. Right. We've got to get them on the show. Yeah, we just got to remember to put them on the list. <laughs> the list is getting long. Yeah. During the show, we're like, we should totally do, we should totally get that person on the show, and then we forget. We're like, um. <laughs> How about you, Carlisi? Did you run across anything this week that you found interesting? Yes, I was talking to my coworker, Joshua, and asking him if he had used any queuing system, because from the Rails world, there are two very well-established libraries. Well, I should say Jam. And I haven't used anything like that in Go yet, but I might have to. And he mentioned this library from that Uber apparently came out with uh, last month. Or at least they open sourced it last month, I think. It's called, I don't know how to pronounce it, Charami? Yeah, Charami. Charami? Charami. It would be actually interesting to know what the similarities are between this library and uh, Jocko. What one does that the other doesn't, but maybe we run out of time. I don't know. So I, I, I saw Charami and I haven't brought it up on the show yet because uh, their documentation is empty at this point. So although they had a big blog post announcing it on December 6th, they haven't really uh, published any docs yet. And it just seems unfair to tease people with something that exciting without having any useful documentation for it. So it does look interesting, but in my mind, after reading the blog post and looking at the code, it looks a lot closer to NSQ than, than anything Kafka related. And I'm kind of surprised that they wrote it because it does look very similar to NSQ. I'm wondering uh, if we shouldn't get somebody from Uber on the phone and find out why they chose to write another one. What, what about NSQ didn't work for them? It's interesting, though, because from a high level, like um, on the page that Carlicia linked, it, it does look a lot like Kafka, right? You have producers producing to a topic. They call it a queue here. But then there's consumer groups to consume from it. So from a, a really high level, it does have a very Kafka-ish workflow. Yeah, and they do have uh, durability with Rocks DB underneath. So maybe that's the Love biggest Rox. differentiator. Yeah, I know, so fast. <laughs> that might be the biggest differentiator with NSQ because NSQ doesn't have any durability, if I remember right. Uh, another thing about NSQ, uh, we used NSQ at Segment.io, and one of the things that bit us is ordering. NSQ doesn't have any ordering guarantees, whereas Kafka does. So. That kind of bit us at Segment.io when we're doing events traffic, where, for instance, let's say you have events and they have a session and you need the session to be created before subsequent events are related to that, associated with that session. So that's where Kafka solves that because it actually has ordering. So. Yeah, that makes good sense. Now I'm wondering whether it's good or bad. Kyle <laughs> and uh, the GoTimeFM channel just said if we're going to talk about NSQ, he's got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, we should. We could have a whole show on NSQ. I love me some NSQ. So I, I'll have to check out um, Shirami. That looks looks like it might be interesting, but we need to find out when they're going to get some docs up. I found another interesting project called Ponzu, and this is something that I've been threatening to write myself forever, but never really got around to needing it badly enough to do it. It's a CMS, think WordPress, but with only an API. So it's, it's built for fat clients that need to access content and they just do it over an API layer instead of um, something like WordPress. So 
I've had several occasions where I've needed something similar to that, and I'm excited that somebody wrote it. It looks interesting. That's at uh, ponzu-cms slash ponzu on GitHub. That looks exciting. I love the logo. One of the coolest things is not just the software people create, but the logos. <laughs> it's, it's, since this is radio, this is a, a gopher with a sushi plate in his hand and a, a Japanese headband. Pretty impressive. Nice. Yeah, so I've got another one, too, that I thought was really cool. And I meant to play with this uh, over the weekend and never got around to it. And here's another one. Those, I, I don't know how it's pronounced. A bit, a bitten, E-B-I-T-E-N. It's basically like a 2D uh, game library, kind of building like old school games. Like 8-bit kind of thing? Yeah. Here. I'll, I'll drop it in the channel. That sounds kind of fun. You know, w- with all my free time. Right. One day. It's one of those things like kind of like uh, Travis was saying with the getting started, right? Like most of us, if you started as a teenager, there were two things you wanted to do. You wanted to be a hacker and you wanted to make video games like that was like most of us. And so there's still a part of me who's like, I want to build a video game. <laughs> and I definitely still want to be a hacker, you know, one day. Yeah. <laughs> one of my uh, I don't know if I've ever actually said this in public, but um, Boris from GoldenEye was very influential, you know, when I was young. Nice. I'm invincible, you know? Yep, that's awesome. All right, so bigger topic. Uh, did anybody see Russ Cox uh, go resolutions for 2017? Yeah, and you know what that smells like to me? I read the whole thing, and the, the, I walked away with one phrase at the end of that. Go 2.0. I don't know whether it's 2.0. Oh, yeah, I think so. There's some stuff in there. If you read it, read through it well enough. There are some things in there that are breaking changes. And I I think there's a a go to in our future somewhere. Call me crazy. I think that package management probably wouldn't wouldn't need that. And there's some of those things, you know, that could be thrown in like the, the automatic vetting and even the error stuff. You know, it wouldn't have to be a core stuff that could probably be augmented with standard library stuff. Yeah, I, I liked some of the stuff where they were talking about kind of best practices and, and example code bases, because that's that's usually where people have a lot of trouble starting out. So they're like, great, I understand the syntax, but uh, where do I put my files? How do I how do I organize this? How do I structure it? You know, what's a typical web app look like? But did you read between the lines and the errors and best practices part where it, it almost sounded exactly to me like they were getting more serious about adopting Dave Cheney's package errors. And that would make me just ecstatic because that is so awesome. Oh man, that'd be awesome. We need to start a, what's that thing on, on whitehouse.gov where you can create a petition. We need to do that. <laughs> Carlisi, did you get a chance to, to look through any of that this week? Or I guess it was only a couple of days ago yesterday. Yeah, no, I saw the post on Twitter, but I didn't read through it. I'll read through it later today. I love that, that he drops the generics bomb as the last one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that that's the last thing. <laughs> generics, I'm out. That'd probably be, if, if anything warrants a go 2.0, that's, that's going to be it probably, right? Yeah. Mic drop. I think it's, I, I just like, I think I, I like the fact that, you know, long form, um, he sat down and kind of put out all his ideas and, you know, maybe some of them are lofty and are harder to to slide into the go one promise. but you know, at least to have, you know, somebody who's steering the direction of the language to sit down and, and, and write that like, yes, 
these things aren't being ignored. They're kind of like at the top of our head and they're things we want to fix. And some of them, you know, like package management um, has been coming a long way. And uh, it'd be interesting to get somebody from the team there to talk about kind of where, where they're at with that. Yeah, package management. It just causes me bitterness. Every time I think I have one of the tools understood, I get bitten and it just makes me cranky. You know, I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's like, all right, I've kind of accepted where this is. And then I'm like, why, why are they not syncing? Why are my packages not up to date? How, yeah. Why can't I just go like update these packages? Like I thought this worked. Mm-hmm. Yep. Making me a little bit crazy. Not going to lie. Like I'm, I'm linked, you know, I'm, I'm compiling against Kubernetes. Why can't there be a single command to get me the newest Kubernetes libraries so that I can rebuild, you know? <laughs> and it, yeah, I haven't tried Glide though. I, I will say that. Um, I don't know what it, people's experiences are with Glide, but that is one that I have not tried yet. See, Glide's the one I'm using right now, and it's the one that makes me want to throw things. And maybe it's because I've been using all the others and I've never used Glide until now. But yeah, none of them make me happy. Quick show of hands. How many? I want to. This is I radio know, still, remember? <laughs> right. Um, I'm curious, like, just just little mini poll here. What is the, the Go vendoring tool that each person here uses the most, probably? Because I know, depending on the project, we're forced to use others. But I'm currently using Go Vendor. That's, that's what I'm using as well. And that's mostly just because that's what the team had chosen. So before I was ever there. Yeah, that's my favorite, too. How about you, Carlicia? What are you guys using for vendoring? I think it's Go Vendor that we are using, firstly. I mean, at least for my project. Look at that. Four out of four. Yeah. That's not bad. I was expecting much different results. <laughs> we got consensus right away. Right. That's a little Kafka joke. Sorry. Yeah, a little, little raft in there. No, I'm using, oh, sorry. It's GoDeps. Oh, GoDeps. You're old school. That's what I used before, <laughs> GoVendor. Honestly, I don't feel like I really, I don't know. What did I even really get about switching to GoVendor? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. It did the job. I mean, I used GoDeps early on, so I don't know if features are there now. But one of the things I like about GoVendor is is some of the little tags that you can use. Like, tell me which things are missing. Tell me which things are like on in my normal Go path, but not in my vendor directory by just doing a Go list plus external or things like that. So there was some of that, I guess. But yeah, I'm I'm still eagerly seeking something better. Always looking for greener pastures. So yeah, a, a lot of good stuff here. Um, somebody in the the channel also mentioned one of Brian's favorite people in the world, the um, uh, Go versus Rust debate with uh, ESR. Oh, don't get me started on ESR. That's not even. <laughs> so I read his blog post first of all, and it was actually a very well thought out blog post. But I still can't stand the man. You know, anybody? Ugh, do we have to have this discussion? <laughs> what are you talking about? So. ESR, um, Eric, Eric S. Raymond is a, um, what's the word, uh, a relatively venerated person in the Linux world. He's a longtime kernel maintainer and, and he's just been around Linux a long time. He considers himself to be a uh, role model for programmers. I consider him to be somebody who needs to go away. Most recently, his, uh, he wrote a blog post and basically suggested that um, if you get sexually harassed at a conference, the only way you should be able to be able to bring a claim against somebody for harassment is if you have a, a pretty solid GitHub repo. 
So your wow. the, your ability to defend yourself or to make an accusation against someone else at a conference is based solely on the fact that you've got some good street cred because you write good code. That doesn't even make sense. It has absolutely nothing to do with with the you know the fact that there may or may not have been sexual assault, and it, it infuriated me. It, it just it really infuriated me. The, the Go article was pretty well written, though. He he did a good job of elucidating the pluses and minuses of Go versus Rust for their use case. And it was factual and nicely written. But yeah, it was actually interesting to see him argue with some some Rust people <laughs> back and forth in the comments. So the takeaway, though, really from that was like, we kind of uh, digressed there a bit on on some of the other <laughs> posts that <laughs> were were your typical hacker news posts. But um, <laughs> At this particular article, the thing that was interesting is just that somebody who's kind of, you know, old school C person, uh, kernel maintainer and stuff, you know, he talks about how like within a couple of days he picked up Go and felt proficient with it and all that stuff enough that like kind of where when he tried to do similar things with Rust, he felt just a lot of pain trying to figure out how to do basic, basic things. So kind of interesting. I just like I like seeing different people's perspectives, right? Because Go came out. And it was really supposed to be targeting um, systems level people, you know, C, C++, and all of all of us dynamic people just kind of swarmed. <laughs> We're like, sweet, you know, goodbye, Ruby, <laughs> you know. So that's a lot of people have been coming in from that world. So I, I'd like having that, that take from, you know, somebody who's been in the, the C assembly, you know, type world for a very long time. I just dropped the link to the uh, article that infuriated me in uh, uh, in our Slack channel. Anger. Much, much <laughs> anger. I can't even get, I mean, I haven't read it. I'll read it later, maybe. But I can't even get angry because what you said that the article said doesn't even make sense. No, it doesn't. And and this, this show shouldn't be about that. So we should we should probably move on before I say things I'll regret. Yeah, it, it, it could probably turn into its its own conversation about that and and maybe what he meant and it's it's hard to say, but it didn't come off well. It, it was not it was not well spoken. I, I think we should have that show though. By the way, I really do. I think I think it, it's time for us at Go Time to take on the topic of sexual harassment in the industry and talk about you know the things that are acceptable and not and how that's changing in our industry and. You know, I think it would be it might be difficult to get guests because people who have experienced that and and it seems to me like it's nearly every woman has experienced it in some way or shape or form often don't want to talk about it, especially on a podcast. But it would be nice to have that show. Since we're the organizers of GopherCon. And we have an explicit uh, and, you know, COC for that, too. Yeah. Which we used last year and it was it was very effective. Very effective. When you had people, did you ever have anybody that uh, violated the COC? Um, yes, yes. Do you know how often that was? I'm like, what, what happened? Um, so the difficulty is that because it's not reported doesn't mean it doesn't happen, right? So, you know, we, we've had some instances, nothing major, knock, knock on wood. I, I really hope that nothing major ever happens. But, you know, we, we try to do our best to um, kind of set the expectation of how people should conduct themselves. 
we try to do stuff like for our after parties where, you know, we have buses charter people to and from the hotel to where the after party is. So people don't have to, you know, walk, especially with people drinking. Um, and it, it gets difficult too, because, um, conf- the conference scene too, especially with drinking, um, kind of ups the occurrence of things like that too. So we, we've been fortunate that there hasn't been anything major, like extreme that's, that's happened, but you know, still just, just the whole play on it, right? Like it, it's not even just about that. It's, it's people's perception, you know, like the, it, it drives me nuts to hear like, uh, a woman at a conference is asked, like what sponsored booths she's working. Like that drives me crazy, you know, like, yeah. why can't they be an engineer? I'm confused here. You know, like your first assumption is somebody's there as an attendee, you know, but yeah, we're, I'm, I'm booking that show, by the way, I'm putting it in Trello right now. We're booking that show. Let's do it. So hit me up on Twitter or an email, B Kettleson on Twitter or B Kettleson at goforacademy.com. Let me know if you want to be on that show. Awesome. So with that, I think that it is time for our second sponsor break. Our second sponsor for today is Backtrace. Software teams use Backtrace to take the headache and guesswork out of debugging across their environments. Backtrace jumps into action when your Go application fails by capturing detailed application state information, including the complete set of Go routines, channels and their wait durations, and my favorite, scheduler information. Backtrace analyzes this state and archives it in a centralized object store, allowing you to explore interesting patterns across your errors and plug rich error data into your resolution workflows. Backtrace is used by companies like Fastly, which is ChangeLog's bandwidth partner, Limelight Networks, Message Systems, AppNexus, and more. Head to backtrace.io slash gotime to learn more and start your free trial. All right, and we are back. We are talking with Travis Jeffrey. Uh, so we just went over some uh, Go projects and news. Anybody have any other interesting articles or projects that they ran across this week? What do you guys want to talk about free software Friday stuff? Oh, goodness. Let me look at my GitHub stars real quick. There's something that I missed and it was big and I forgot it. Darn it. I feel like there was something I dropped in our channel earlier this week and I completely am losing track of what it is. I don't know if you guys have mentioned this, but it's called GOP, another project by Google. And it's a command to list and diagnose Go processes currently running on your system. Yeah, JBD was working on that, right? Yes. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. Um, I think we determined like you you have to compile you have to compile it into your project, um, in order to kind of inspect what's going on in there. But it's, it's really cool tool. Mm-hmm. One thing we should mention it is uh, we are recording this and live on January nineteenth. Our CFP for GopherCon ends on the thirty first of January. If you want to put a talk proposal in for GopherCon, you're running out of time. And trust me, you want to put a talk in for GopherCon. You out there, humble GoTime FM listener, have something to share with the Go community, and we want to hear it. Absolutely. And to that point, too, um, if you submit, everybody always waits to the, to the end. It's insane. Like the last 48 hours, <laughs> we probably get two-thirds of our submissions. So. Number one is like if you submit early, um, the reviewers have time to review it. And if there's feedback, if there's questions, kind of like we don't understand what, where you're getting at or, or maybe you didn't give enough detail for us to really gauge it, we will respond back and ask 
for more detail and to point things out or, you know, to reframe it a different way. But if you wait to the last 48 hours, nobody will have time to respond back to you to give you feedback as to what you might be able to change to make it more appealing. And also, um, Dave Cheney wrote a post on the Gopher Academy blog, too, giving kind of helpful insight into writing a proposal for the conference. And I think that part of that can get misunderstood, too. Um, I think people think that it has to be like this crazy, highly technical proposal. And when I forget the the, sen- the sentence that was getting confused, but the, the basic idea of it, though, is we get a lot of like one sentence and two sentence submissions. None of the reviewers know who you are. Um, they only know what you put in that box. So that's why we kind of talk about like making sure you put enough information in there where people can gauge your your knowledge level or that you'll be able to um, lay it out in kind of like a, a, a flow that'll fit within your time and it won't be bouncing all over. If you say like, I want to talk about go logging <laughs> and that's your proposal, that's going to be really hard for the reviewers to be like, oh yeah, let's, you know, logging may be something that everybody's very interested in seeing something about, but, you know, we don't know how well you know that topic. We don't know how you're going to frame it. Are the attendees going to leave with more questions than, than answers? Like kind of what's the takeaway? Like that's kind of the thing. And we get a lot of one and two sentence um, proposals. I'm going to up Dave Cheney and write a blog post about what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe it'll be more effective. And, and by the way, um, if you don't ma- even mention Go, on your proposal, even if it's super detailed, we have no idea if that should be accepted because we don't know if you're going to talk about Go. So at the very least, you should be mentioning Go in your on your proposal. Yeah. And just a point of clarification, the reviewers can't see who you are. And in your proposal, you should not mention who you are, but it's your job to give us an idea that you know what you're talking about while you write the proposal. So it, it's a fine line you have to walk not to allow us to know who you are, that gives us anonymity in our review process, but you still have to show that you know your stuff when you're writing it. Yeah. So I think that might be part of the confusion, right? It's like the, how, how do you show you're qualified without giving away who you are? Um, and it's not so much like putting down your credentials that we're looking for. If your proposal is well thought out, you have a good premise to it. You, it's clear what the takeaway is going to be and kind of like the direction you're going to take the talk, you're going to talk about this thing, that thing. If you have guesses for how long you're going to talk about each kind of subsection in your talk, even better. It just shows when it's broken down like that, that you have like a a very good understanding of your topic and how you plan to present it. Um, That's really what we're looking for when we're trying to figure out the qualification to talk, not necessarily the, you know, I've spoken at this conference, this conference, here's links to me speaking, that's not so much what we're looking for. Cause I think that if you know your, your material, well, it's, it's easy for you, not easy, but much easier for you to give a good engaging talk. And the final note before we change the subject on that is that all accepted speakers will be assigned a mentor. So if you've never talked before, but you feel like it's time for you to get out there and spread your wings a little bit, we will assign you an experienced speaker who will help you every step of the way and uh, make sure that when you get up on stage, you're confident and you give the best talk that you can possibly give. So don't be shy. Don't be afraid. 
Me, Brian, and Dave have been known to have many a late night at the conference sitting in hotel rooms while people do dry runs. So yeah, we're, we're, we're committed to, to helping people give good talks and to feel, feel comfortable getting on stage. So, and another note, I, it, we don't make it too clear and a lot of people don't submit because they're worried about uh, compensation. Like how, how are they going to get there? Because many conferences maybe provide you a ticket. So you really have to rely on like your employer to sponsor you. We do pay hotel, airfare, and everything for our speakers to come out. So don't let not being able to pay for travel and expenses hinder you from submitting because we got it covered. That was like the GopherCon sub-segment there. Sorry. <laughs> right. We better get to free software Friday. It's a big event for everybody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to see people come up on stage. And I'd love to see as many people take the opportunity as they can. So. I don't think it hurts at all. One more thing too is that GopherCon is accepting talks, keynotes, normal regular talks, but also tutorial and workshops. So if you don't think you can give a lecture, maybe you can give a workshop teaching something. Maybe that'll be easier. Yeah. We have three different types of proposals that are accepted. We've got the plenary talks, 25-minute talks up on the big stage. We've got the tutorials, which are 45-minute talks on in our split outs in the afternoons. And then we've got workshops, which are entire day classes that you can teach the day before the conference. So there's there's a way for you to engage in GopherCon, no matter what you want to teach. Nice. So uh, Casey Wilson in our, our GoTime FM Slack channel just said, aka, now you want to go to GopherCon, but don't have the money? Submit a talk. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Why not? Something tells me that you'll be more uh, nervous and like uh, from past experience, you spend more time worried about your, your talk than enjoying the conference you're at. But I think that's always the case now, for, at least for, for me would be if I, if I were talking. If you're Brandon Phillips from CoreOS, you, you hang out and you work until the second somebody taps your shoulder and tells you to go on stage. <laughs> it's just, I've never seen somebody so calm before having to talk. <laughs> All right. So free software Friday. I know we're on a tight timeline with uh, Carlisa having a hard stop. Why don't you go first, Carlisa? All right, I'll go first. I want to give a shout out to uh, Peter Bourgon and his OKLog package, distributed and coordination-free log management system. It looks like it was a ton of work. And, you know, if you need some log management system, I think it'll be really interesting to try and use this. It looks impressive. It looks very impressive. His blog post announcing it was very well written too. And he has extensive design documents. I'm a little disappointed. You've, you've always curated a list of cool things for me, Brian. You never sent this to me. Oh, my bad. I've been busy. Busy. I don't What, what is that? Yeah, right. And the, the other interesting thing is that I remember him posting on Twitter maybe three months ago, four tops, asking if there was the equivalent of Prometheus for logs, and which means he wrote this afterwards. So I don't know how somebody can whip up something this uh, complex so quickly. They had a little help. And they started with the concepts from GoKit as their base. So... It's certainly, I don't think it happened all alone and all Peter in just a month or so. It was, I think Chris Hines was deeply involved too and, and several others. 
So it still looks amazing and I'm not diminishing the amount of effort put into it by any means. What about you, Eric? Did you come up with something good this week for free software Friday? Uh, I did. So this is kind of hardware related. Uh, it's a project called Open OCD, which is open on-chip debugger. Um, and it's used for doing kind of like uh, SWD and JTAG debugging of chips. It's open source software. All I heard was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so JTAG it, it, something, something, special forces. I don't know. Think, think GDB for hardware. So it allows you to connect uh, GDB to, um, say, like a microcontroller and step through the code that's executing on it and things. And then JTAG's a little bit more involved with the way that works. But uh, similar things it does as well as additional things. But yeah. Nice. Very cool. Travis, did you have something you wanted to share for Free Software Friday? Uh, yep. I wanted to share Redis and uh, Salvatore Sanfilippo, I think is how you pronounce that. An old project been going on for a long time now. I think it was released in 2009. And it still feels as useful and as fresh as when it came out. And I've been using it for a long time, and it's there's so many use cases for it because sometimes people think of it as a key value store, but it's really a data structure service. So if you need uh, any type of distributed, you know, you wanted to, you have multiple services that want to use the same set or something like that, it can do a lot. Uh, I've even made like a time series database in that thing, so it's pretty cool. And um, he also recently put out one of my favorite blog posts about a release. And I'll just read a little bit here where he says, the first release candidate of Redis 4.0 is out. It's not yet stable, but it's soon to become and comes with a long list of things that will make Redis more useful for Wii users. Finally, Redis 4.0 release candidate one is here and is bold enough to call itself 4.0 instead of 3.4. For me, semantic versioning is not a thing. What I like instead is try to communicate using version numbers and jumps. What's up with the new version? And in this specific case, 4.0 means this is the poop. <laughs> the shiz? Yeah, exactly. So I just love that. And, uh, That's awesome. Redis is awesome. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the world without Redis. It's, it's been around for a long time, and it's still fast as heck. Awesome stuff. And he recently added a module support. So I think like someone, I think he actually... Uh, Salvatore, I think he actually created a module that implements like a neural network in Redis. So, oh wow, pretty awesome. So, I think that'll be another thing that'll a lot of cool stuff will be made for modules in Redis. That whole project is a great example of accessible C code. I am not a C developer by a long shot, but it's well written C code, well tested C code, and it's a good place to go if you want to learn some C. Yeah, I have not messed with Redis in a couple of years. It, it's interesting because we were using it for a long time and then just kind of don't anymore. Yeah, it's true. We found Kafka. <laughs> I found a bigger hammer for that screw. <laughs> uh, All right. So my free software Friday for the week is one that I've already mentioned before, but I used it extensively this week and it just brought me joy again. And that's Goa plus Gorma uh, designing your API uh, first, using a DSL and then generating an API with the data storage layer, just it brought me joy today. Thank you, Goa. How's that mixing with Buffalo now? Are, are you combining the two or are you using some for one and 
I haven't combined them yet, although as I was doing this Goa project this week, I thought about ways that they could actually combine nicely together. So maybe there might be something like that in the future. There's uh, Goa is very specifically API level and Buffalo is is very much on the website, although it does it does nice APIs. There's there's no concept of um, of the design first ideas in Buffalo. So I, I think that those worlds can meet. Uh, it just will take some time to think it through. Todd's calling me out. It really is me responding on Twitter and talking at the same time. I'm good like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say goodbye. And Travis, thank you so much. Thank you. Good talking with you. All right. So All right, Carly. talk soon. Bye. Thanks, Carlos. Yeah. Bye. I missed it by two minutes. I was like, here we go. We didn't do too bad, though, with timing, though. Yeah, I was actually looking at my timer. I must have started it two minutes after uh, the hour. But yeah, that was kind of funny. He's he's accusing because he's accusing me of having my brother on the Twitter account. <laughs> it's probably true. Very few people would know the difference. No, no. I, even at the conference, very few people know the difference. Actually, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how many of you use like a framework, a Go framework for, for the web rather than just using the standard library? Uh, it depends. It depends on what I'm doing. Brian's been doing a lot more um, framework and code generation stuff uh, than me, because uh, recently I've been writing a lot of um, outbound service type stuff. So I haven't really had the need for a framework. Like the two components I've mostly been working on recently um, are just interacting with the Kubernetes clusters and things like that. They don't really take any inbound traffic. And then the other one, basically, man in the middle's the Docker socket. Yeah. So from my perspective, I've done everything from pure NetHttp all the way up to Revel when I first started Go and everything in between. And um, for me, I was always looking for that Rails experience without the Rails magic. And Go Buffalo's absolutely brought that to me. So I'm I'm super excited about Buffalo. It's it's a really thin veneer on top of uh, a handful of small libraries like Gorilla Mux and uh, Gorilla Sessions. So it's it's not it's not a lot of code, but it's got the generators. It's got the the concept of rake, although it's called grift in in Buffalo, and it's it's just made it so much easier to write web apps and so much faster. The new Gopher Academy website is written in Buffalo. The new GopherCon website is written in Buffalo, and I've done a couple others too. And it, it's so fast, and it's getting better every day. Yeah, sounds good. I'll have to check it out. I've always just been like a, a standard lib guy with maybe uh, the Gorilla libs are really awesome. Basically, I would just tack those on as I needed or like whatever else. I like standard lib, but there reaches a point too where there's so many endpoints. Like if you're building out like a full, like, um, admin interface or something where there's just a lot of endpoints, you know, that feels like a, it could get repetitive and there'd be some shared logic for, you know, authentication and authorization. And, you know, like some of that starts to feel like it'd be nice if there was some sort of um, better way to tie everything together. But I haven't struggled with any of that in the last uh, year or so, just because I haven't been writing a lot of uh, API code. I was going to say that's because I'm writing all the APIs and web stuff. Kubernetes boy. <laughs> I don't know. Mine, mine has its pain too. Oh, absolutely. Did you not hear that? That, that I have the man in the middle, Docker. I, I, I did catch that, and I, I feel your pain. <laughs> that sounds terrible.
That was kind of fun. The the pain in part is uh, it, where it upgrades the socket. I was like, sweet, I can just use the HTTP reverse proxy and just give it some socket knowledge. No, that did, that didn't work at all because it upgrades where basically the they start talking just straight TCP and no more HTTP to each other for stuff like uh, interactive terminals. But I threw something together. It works. It's cool. I'll have to see that code because I was uh, back not too long ago was doing. Um docker backed web terminals and i got stuck with that same websocket upgrade because i was trying to connect the standard in and standard out from the web terminal directly to a docker container running a shell and there's that point in the middle where where you get the upgrade and i was like ah oh, darn it yeah it's it's actually kind of cool because you can just basically pipe the two connections together but yeah i'll help you through it i'll buy you a beer Apparently, I owe I owe um, Brian Downs a beer too. I didn't realize. Remember when we joked about um, if somebody cosplayed as like Bill Kennedy with a hat or something? That's right. And I never saw this picture. He he is dressed clearly with a Bill Kennedy hat and a Dave Cheney beard, and I missed it. <laughs> Say it isn't so. <laughs> so I I I owe somebody some beer. Hopefully, they will be at the next Gopher Con. That is awesome. Maybe we'll invite him to to the dinner. That's a good idea. Wait, so we have we have a tradition too. It's a little late now, but most people don't know this. Every year, Brian and I take uh, whoever the first ticket purchaser is for GopherCon out to like a really nice dinner. So next year, you want that to be you. Yeah, that's been really fun. We we have people that camp on the on the uh, ticket buying page just to be just to get the honor. Yeah, it's fun. So all right. Anybody have anything else before we close out the show and, and move after show, even though we're kind of in the after show. Now. Yeah, Carlicia <laughs> left. Everything got informal. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to talk about this uh, Golang dev discussion about the standard login interface? You mean the one cool. I started? Yeah, I guess you started it. Well, someone else started it, but they started it because they saw your, uh, your tweet. Yeah, Peter's, Peter started it because of my tweet. So I suggested on Twitter uh, a couple days ago that uh, it would be nice if we had a single format for uh, a single interface for logging. Yes. You know, one yeah. of the biggest, biggest mistakes I see in Go, and there aren't that many, to be honest. Go is a very well-written language, but I, I think it's a mistake that the logger or the logging package is a concrete implementation and not an interface. Yeah, so it would be so awesome because everyone yeah. has their own logging implementation and it just becomes a mess. Yeah, it's insanity. I love it. So regardless of whether you think that libraries should be logging and, and that's its own discussion, many Go libraries do log and anything that touches uh, like Kubernetes, any of those clients, they use uh, Glog, Google's logger. And it's it's insanity when you've got all of these different libraries mixed together. and if I'm consuming a library, I want to just be able to pass in some logger that I instantiated and and have it just work. That'd be really nice. Well, I mean, you can set your um, where your your log writer is. Um, well, using a global too. Only if they're not using something crazy. So if if right, yeah, there are log packages that don't allow you to override the um, the log output, and that's been really frustrating. I, I forked one of them once. I don't even remember which it was just to add the ability to get to the logger. So you could, you could change its output to 
you know, the standard logger. It's, it's ridiculous. So I suggested on Twitter that we need to have a, a standard interface for logging packages. And obviously, the reason that we have all of this uh, logging package stuff is because Go's logging implementation doesn't have log levels and it doesn't have uh, structured logging. I think pretty much everybody will agree at least with those two things. That's every other logging package out there has some combination of those. So an interface that covers log levels and structured logging in the standard library, which is my biggest argument. If it's not in the standard library, you're wasting your time. It would allow us to, you know, plug in whatever logging library we liked, whether it's Logris or Log15 or GoKits or whatever, and they would all just work. Yeah. That's what I want. I want yep. things to just work. Yep, it'd be awesome. Java's had it for years. Log4j. I mean... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Java. Ah, uh, Java. So, <laughs> so we started this discussion, and lots of people are uh, jumping in on it, but we'll have to see where it goes. I, there's lots of people inside Google that are interested in this, too, so I'm hoping we'll get some traction and have some, some convergence on a minimal interface that will make most people happy and that we can promote as a standard for everybody to meet. And that way Logris and Log15 can implement that interface and we can just start sending pull requests to our favorite libraries out there to meet that logging interface. This would bring me joy. Yep. So I think it's another one of those dependency type things too, where you know, like there's a, there's a disadvantage when some things are steered from kind of like a benevolent dictator because, you know, like there's a lot of good that comes from it, but the bad part is the tunnel vision, right? Like, so the logging, you know, who knows what they use internally for logging. So it's, it's hard for them to think about all the use cases that other people have for logging, you know, at Google scale logs, probably don't mean much, right? It's probably all metrics at that point and anomaly detection and, and things like that. Logs are probably things that are turned on during debug phases. And, and that's about it because I don't think I would want to know how much log data Google sites <laughs> generate. <laughs> Enough to knock us all off the interweb. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing about this conversation is that uh, the folks at Google are even discussing potential compiler changes that would make certain operations in the logging world uh, less costly in terms of allocations and and such. So nice. you know, there's there's definitely some good engagement on this to make logging fast and, and pain-free. Um, I'm excited to see it go somewhere. I don't think people realize how engaged um, the Go team is with the community too on a lot of things. And, you know, they, they help um, big users of Go and stuff like that. Um, in making changes that help their software run better. Yeah, one of the coolest things was whenever they had the discussion about Go dependencies and they brought in, uh, you know, like guys that were working on Go vendor and Go devs and everything and brought them in as uh, people to talk with. So that was, uh, that was really cool to see. Yeah, definitely. So I think we are like 15-ish minutes over time, somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we should probably close out the show. Uh, before we drive Adam crazy sitting there waiting for us. <laughs> we covered all the corners of the internet today, though. It was kind of awesome. You know, if we all close Slack and don't look to see if he messages us and we just keep <laughs> going, 
how long do you think he he hangs up on us? It's it's because we can't see him saying cut cut cut. We're we're long. We're over. No, sorry, I couldn't see it. It's radio. <laughs> All right. So with that, I want to thank everybody for being on the show, especially to you, Travis and Carlicia, who's who's not here with us. She already said her goodbyes. Uh, thanks to all the listeners who are listening live and everybody who's going to be listening to the show when the recording is released. Huge shout out to our sponsors, Stack Impact and Backtrace. If you are not following us already, we are gotime.fm. Um, you can sign up. Uh, eventually, we'll get around to putting out our weekly email. Uh, we are gotime.fm on Twitter. And if you want to be on the show, have suggestions for topics or guests for the show, um, github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping. And with that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to our sponsors, Stack Impact and Backtrace. Because of them, we're able to produce this show. Also want to thank Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats and Fastly for the bandwidth. 